As bear market territory freaks out some investors, YMYW listeners are a bit more chill as Joan Big Al spitball on their specific strategies to manage the market decline. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 379. Does it make sense to move to cash inside your retirement account? How do down markets impact Roth conversion decisions for older investors? What should your asset allocation be now during market volatility if you're expecting a future windfall? How should you manage the relationship with your financial advisor if they buy high and sell low in your investment portfolio? Should you leave a partially vested pension to grow or withdraw the money now and convert to Roth? What's the best way to withdraw from an IRA in a down market? And in the derails, can the fellows make it through this episode with a bloody nose and with COVID? I'm producer Andy Last with the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson CFP, and Big Al Clopine CPA. Without Your Money questions, we don't have a podcast. So visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Big Al on air to send them in as an email or a priority voice message. Hey, Andy, Big Al, and Newlywed Joe from Minnesota. Kevin from Denver via South Dakota with a question regarding cash inside a deferred retirement account. I recently switched jobs and moved money from the 401k to my traditional IRA. When I did that, everything landed in a money market settlement fund. I reallocated most of the cash into similar stock investments in my 401k, but I stopped short of moving the remaining cash to a bond fund. My desire is to retire in about four years, and my plan was to have a couple years of cash to ride out you know, a market like we're experiencing today. I've got an emergency fund, but I, I don't see that as being the same thing as holding cash inside a retirement account to ride out you know, these tough times. So my question is, when, if ever, does it make sense to move to cash inside a retirement account leading up to retirement. Based upon my calculations, it would be about a 5% allocation in cash upon retirement. As always, appreciate your noodling on my random questions. Peace out. Time for a barrel stout. I just wanted to jump in real quick and mention the fact that Joan Big Al spitball, not noodle. Noodling is somebody else. Did you hear that Minnesota accent or the... Yeah, I heard some. Yep. Yeah. Loved it. Or, or South Dakota, same, Over same, right? Dakota. <laughs> Living in Denver now. What do you think, Big Al? I mean, 5% is not a huge amount. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to make a break. And he's not really trying to time the market. It doesn't sound like with 5%. No, but but I think he, I think he's asking right now, he's got a bunch of money in cash, probably more than 5%. He wants to have 5% in retirement, but but the question is, should I just stay in cash or he didn't, he, he, he doesn't really want to move into bonds. And I, I guess I don't, in some ways don't blame him because bonds in the, in the short term haven't done that well. It's just the, I guess part, part of the, the reasoning behind bonds is they, they do tend to hold their value like cash and they tend to have a better rate of return like cash in market declines, the safer bonds, the short-term bonds actually go up and helps shelter the blow. Cash doesn't, it just sits there. But nevertheless, we're getting this question, which is, should I just skip the bonds and, and go in cash? And they do roughly the same thing, right? It's, it's safe money in your retirement account. But I'm in bonds right now because I think that's the right place to be. They do go up, they do 
earn more than cash. I think if he's asking the question, what to do today, I would go into bonds, but I'd, I'd have them be safer short term. In terms of in retirement, 5% is fine. I mean, that's just an ease of distributions, right? So you don't have to sell anything. So I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. I, I mean, if he's sitting in cash with a lot of money and he's trying to time it out and write it out over these tough times is what he's saying. But the, the definition of tough times is on the flip side, a really good time to invest, true, right? True. Because if, 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 if he thinks it's tough times now because the market's down 20%, and so is it better to invest in good times when the market's up 20%? So you got to be thinking kind of almost in opposite world, George Costanza, you know, um, <laughs> when you invest your money. Because I think intuitively we're really bad investors because, I mean, there's two things that people are doing right now, right? It's like, okay, do I hold the course or do I go on cash or try to time the market to ease the pain that way, right? That, those are two of your options. And they're both very difficult to do because if I just hold the course, even though that's probably the better option, but you're seeing your account balance go down 5%, 10%, 20%, whatever the, the number is, depending on what type of portfolio that you're in, I mean, that blows people up. They can't do it. I mean, time and time again, shows that people can't do it. So then you have a, a situation where Kevin recently changes jobs. He moves his 401k and now he's got money sitting in cash. And he's like, oh, now would probably be a really good time to keep it in cash and ride out the tough times. I mean, if, if I were looking at Kevin's overall portfolio, I would say, well, okay, well, what is the appropriate balance that he should have to accomplish his goals and have that invested right now today? Yeah. But, but Joe, he said, he said, I reallocated most of the cash into similar stock investments. Yeah. But he's writing some stuff out in the tough times. I don't know what that means. Well, it, yeah, it either means exactly what you said, or it means what I said, I guess we don't know. My presumption was he had some bonds in his retirement account and he didn't want to reinvest in bonds because they haven't done that well lately. So I, you know, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I think whatever, we both give a little different color to this question. <laughs> True. We got geriatric anonymous from oh, Missouri. Wow. From Missouri. Okay. Geriatric you don't often address us old folks. So this is your chance. I'm 85 and my wife is 72. We have more than enough to live the rest of our lives. Our financial goals are hundred percent legacy. I'm still working half time and my employer allows me to continue to contribute to my traditional IRA, which totals 1.6 million. I also have $500,000 in a traditional IRA and $500,000 in a Roth IRA, apart from my employer's IRA. I have 800 grand in a brokerage account. I've been converting my non-Roth IRAs to Roth, staying in the 24% tax bracket, about $100,000 a year. After I die, my retirement pension, Social Security, and employer RMDs inherited by my wife will activate a widow tax in the 32% range of substantial portion coming from my employer's RMD. Should I continue my conversion rate into the 32% tax bracket now and after I retire until I die to reduce the limit um, of the tax burden on my wife. Should the current stock market decline have any impact on that decision? I have three daughters, all financially secure, who will be the beneficiaries. They are in their 30s and thus have many years to future accumulate whatever we leave them. All right, geriatric. Anonymous. 
anonymous. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> so the widow tax. Oh, you must be listening to the other podcast or pretty smart guy there. Yeah, pretty smart. What, guy. Well, basically, what he's saying is that he, he he's going to have a survivor benefit on his pension plan. He's got the survivor benefit on Social Security, and then the RMDs from all other retirement accounts are going to push his wife into a lot higher tax bracket because now she will file single versus both of them filing married. So when they file married, he's in the twenty four percent tax bracket, but after he passes, she will have income as a single tax filer, but the income is still going to be very high that will push her up into the 32 plus range. So he's thinking, hey, if this money's going to get taxed at 32% when I pass, should I convert to the 32% or keep converting to the 24%? Which is a really good question, which is a really tough question to answer to some degree because there's so many unknowns. Yes. I mean, right, if he was going to, if if he had a, we don't know when he's going to die or when she's going to die, right? I mean, those are the, those are the key things that we need to to give you the, the the perfect answer. Yeah, which of course nobody knows, but the question is is a good one, and we haven't really talked about this in a while with the with the Roth conversion. Part of, one of the reasons you do it is when you're married, particularly if one spouse is a lot older than another one, and will presumably you don't know for sure, but will presumably die before the younger one then, or it doesn't really matter which one, but the survivor then uses the single tax brackets. By the way, they're the same tax brackets that married filing joint have. It's just that you hit these higher percentages much quicker, right? So for example, the 12% bracket goes up to a little over 40,000 for single, but it's a little over 80,000 for married and, and so on. So all of a sudden you pass away, you've got similar income. But now the survivor's in a lower tax bracket, so that's that's the that, that's that's bracket. that higher tax bracket. Thank you. But I, I would say, yeah, we don't know enough information. It's a little hard to. to but if if I just spitball it, <laughs> would you convert I, to the thirty-two, or I, would you keep it the twenty-four? I guess is well, kind of I is. I probably would not convert to the thirty-two percent under normal circumstances. However, with a big market decline and it could go down more, we don't know. This is the best time to convert, right? Because stocks are lower. And you'll if you can convert now and get that recovery, when it does happen in a Roth, then, then that's actually a, a great idea. So because of that, I actually may go ahead and do that into the 32% bracket because um, stock, the market's lower. Right. Because let's say if he continues to convert to the 24, well, that's going to change here in a couple of years anyway, right? Because the 24 is going to ch change it to the 28, you know, or could go to AMT or whatever. The whole brackets are changing, right? The 10 goes to the 12 or the 10 stays at the 10, 12 goes to the 15, 22, right? Goes back to 25%. And then the 24% tax bracket goes to 28 and then if she's in the 32, that could push her up to the 39.6. So, you know, or 35%. So I think we're still in a low tax environment where I like his strategy, but right. If he lives another 10 years and he could continue to convert at 24 and then 28, I think that's a better deal because then his right. His wife's life expectancy is going to be a lot lower. And then when she has to take those distributions, she might be in a higher tax bracket, but it might only be for a few years. Then the kids inherit it. And I would imagine the kids 
in their 30s are probably not in the highest tax brackets. So, yeah, you know, you, you got to look at life expectancy, kind of what the health history is, and then what the kids and the beneficiaries look like in regards to finance. If they're in super high tax brackets, well, then by all means, convert to the 32. Yeah, I was just going to agree with you, Joe, that it's almost more important what brackets the kids are, are in or what you think they're going to be in, right, in the future to help answer that question. Yeah, he's got a great problem. He's got yeah. a ton of money. Oh, sure. A lot of it, unfortunately, is in retirement accounts. So and th- this is kind of the whole w- why we talk about what we do every day, right, is because geriatric anonymous, <laughs> anonymous, runs into the... <laughs> runs into the, the, the tax issue, right? It's like, hey, I did a good job. I've done, I, I did what I was told to do. I saved money, right? In my retirement accounts, my IRAs, my 401ks, you know, I got a nice pension and then I collect my social security. And now what? He's going to give, you know, 32%, 40%, you know, to the IRS of everything that he saved and accumulated just because it's, he, he's, he, he did a really good job of saving. Right. And now all of this money is forcing him out. And he's fortunate enough, you know, to have pensions to, you know, also to boot. Most people won't have those pensions and won't be in the same situation where they will be in, you know, very high brackets, but they'll still lose a lot of the money, you know, if they're great savers to, to, to taxes, unfortunately. Yeah. I guess another thing is let's say he predeceases. So his wife inherits the IRA, she can put it in her own name which means the RMD will be lower because she'll be at a younger age. So that you kind of need to factor that in too. But you kind of need to know how long she's going to live after he passes. And you don't know that. You don't know when he's going to pass. So it's kind of a, it's just, it's just spitballing because there's no, there, there's no right answer because we don't have all the facts and no one has the facts, enough facts to make the, the best call. But anyway, I, I would probably, like I said, I probably would not, normally not do it. That's just me. But I would consider it now because the market's lower. That that's that's my response. Yep, the market's down twenty percent. Convert to the thirty-two. Get a bunch of it out. You know, I mean, you could do the appropriate planning and, and forecast this thing out over the next twenty years to kind of even out the tax, right? So maybe you don't go to the top of the thirty-two. You just put a couple of bucks into the thirty-two, so you could look at a dollar figure versus maxing out those brackets. So, I mean, there's different planning that he could potentially do to even out the tax over his life, his wife's life, and then the kids. So there you go. Talking about the old guys. So don't say that we've never done that. Thanks, geriatric and nominous. Visit the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for our latest webinar and companion guide on inflation, the Fed, and market volatility to find out what money moves you should consider right now. Courtesy of Pure Financial Advisors, Chief Investment Officer and Executive Vice President, Brian Perry, CFP, CFA. Then schedule a no-cost, no-obligation financial assessment to make sure your portfolio is set up to withstand market shocks and turmoil. Pure Financial is a fee-only fiduciary financial planning firm with offices in Southern California, Seattle, and Chicago. But no matter where you are, you can meet with our experienced professionals via Zoom right from your own couch. An influx of viewers and listeners are booking meetings with the Pure team, so schedule yours ASAP. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to watch the webinar and to book your free financial assessment. Go to yourmoneywealth.com. Click on Ask Joe and Al on the air. You can leave a voice message or you can write us an email, whatever your fancy is. But I think TJ left us a message. Hey, Joe and Big Al. This is TJ from Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
I drive a 2009 Honda Accord with 275,000 miles on it. I'm going to drive that sucker into the ground. My drink of choice is either a Dr. Pepper or a Diplomatico rum. I'm looking for some spitball advice. I've got about 1.1 million in stock market exposure and about a million in real estate equity, and I'm 37. 50% of my expenses are covered by my passive income from real estate. My question is about asset allocation. So I've got some super fortunate, well, unfortunate things that are going to happen, but I've got some windfalls coming my way from life insurance payouts and then an inherited IRA from older family members. And that's to the tune of about another 1.5 million. I'm planning on retiring from my W-2 in two years to prioritize being a good dad and spending time with my kids before I get too old. And I've always heard about bond allocation and, and having that be the conservative part of your portfolio. But in my situation with this upcoming windfall, I'm trying to figure out how I should plan my asset allocation today, knowing that in about 15 years, I'll get a significant chunk of money in addition to what I already have. So just looking for you guys' spitball advice. I, I looked around, can't find good answers on this. So hoping you can help. Uh, love the show. Always goes to the top of my list whenever it comes out. You make me laugh. You add a ton of value. I appreciate you guys a lot. Hope you're doing well and have a great day. TJ, my man from Minnesota. Minnesota is right. You guys are, you could bond, right? Well, yeah, over some Diplomatico. <laughs> Diplomatico rum. Never had that. It looks fancy. Oh, very fancy bottle. Okay. Congrats, TJ. 37 years old. 50% of his living expenses are covered by the passive income from his real estate empire. He's got $1.1 million sitting in equities. And he's curious. He wants to get rid of the W-2 job in two years. But the question, I guess, that I have for TJ is how much money is he spending? And what needs to come from the portfolio of anything? Because he's 37, right? The allocation should be based on what the, the money needs to do. So at 37 or 40 years old, if it still doesn't need to produce any type of income for you to live off of, well, then keep it in equities. But if you need to start drawing income from the portfolio, then that's a totally different story. Then you need to tone down the overall you know, exposure to risk to make sure that he has some cushion or some safety there to, to, to create income from. Yeah. And, and we like to tell people to have at least five years, if not more in safe assets like bonds. So even if the market goes down for a longer period of time, you can sell bonds. You can have money that's, that's not going to go down very much. Hopefully we'll go up a little bit. So it's, it's your, your allocation should be goals-based, Joe, just like you said. The second thing I would say is I don't think it's ever a good idea to do planning based upon an inheritance because you just, you never know, right? I, I think it's best to do planning on your own situation. And then if the inheritance comes through, then I think then obviously you can adjust the plan. That, that's that's, that's kind of, I think that's a more prudent way because maybe whoever you're going to inherit this from ends up spending it. Maybe they have a, 10 years in a long-term care facility where they need to use this money or, or whatever. So the other windfall that, that 1.5 million that's coming TJ's way, is that coming now or is that coming in like 15 years from now? Looks yeah. like it's in 15 years. 15 years. And th th there's too much uncertainty, right? So I don't think so, you... so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to blow out of this studio right now. 
because I think I've got to get some cash. You know, That's like right. 25 years from now. Right. Hopefully some old family members kick off. But if, if they don't, I'm going to make sure that that happens. Yeah, TJ, I, I thought he was going to get another one and a half million dollars like right now. And, I don't and think so he's so. going to have two and a half million bucks or two point three million. And it's like, OK, now I got two point three. What do I do here? But l- l- let's say he wants to spend. You know, he if he only has the one point one right now, he doesn't want to. You can't spend any more than probably twenty five, thirty thousand dollars from that portfolio. Right. And so let's just say it's $30,000 and maybe you want to go out 10 years. So that would be $300,000 of the 1.1 is probably what you want to keep in bonds. If that's what the spending need is right. Because then that's a 10 year cushion. So if the markets are doing well, then you can feed up dividends and capital gains and so on. If the market plummets like it is now, well, then you just peel off some bonds to get you your 30,000 of income. So TJ's living expenses are 60 grand, 30,000 is coming from real estate. He needs another 30,000 from the 1.1. This is all hypothetical, TJ. I have no idea what you're spending. But if that were the case, then you take 30,000, depending on your, your, your comfort level now. Now it's like your risk tolerance. So maybe you go five years. So that's 150,000 in, in cash and bonds. I'd probably go 10 years. So that's 300,000. So it's like, you know, you're still at a 70, 30, you know, portfolio balance, 70% stocks, 30% fixed income, which is still pretty aggressive at 40 years old when you're going to stop your W2 or, or, or 39. You know, I think you, that's where you still need to be because A, 15 years, you're going to get another 1.5 and bada boom, bada bang. You're good. (laughs) I'm I'm going to make an educated guess because he's got a million dollars of real estate equity. Let's say it's in Minneapolis. Let's say it's a 5% cap rate. Maybe it's more, but let's be conservative. 5% cap rate. So $50,000. So maybe he needs a hundred. So that's just a guess. And if you need a hundred, you don't have enough assets to do this at your age. So maybe you got to work part time. So, but if we, his wife we, is working, maybe you know, maybe that maybe. covers it. Maybe the portfolio doesn't necessarily need to cover any of his income yeah. needs. Yeah, that's so right. Guess, True. The the point of I think that the discussion is when anyone is trying to figure out what asset allocation they should have in their portfolio, it needs to be based. Well, what is the money for? What are you trying to accomplish with the money? Our last, the geriatric anonymous guy, right? He could, he should be hundred percent in cash and he's 85 years old because it's not for him. It's for his daughters that are 30, right? And it's, so it's like, well, he, but with TJ, who's 37, he might need a lot more fixed income because we don't really understand the full picture. So it's, what is the money for? So it's always starting. Okay. Well, in, in two years or three years from now, he needs to start creating income. Well, now he needs to position that portfolio today to make sure in three years that he's set up appropriately. So, all right. Thanks for the email or the voicemail, PJ. It goes, hello, Andy, Joe, Big Al. Hope all is well. This is Nick from Ohio. Big fan, loyal listener of the show, especially the derails. I'm 47 years old, driving a 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokee. My wife and I have an Irish setter at home. See picture. Oh, very cute. Yeah, good looking dog. My financial advisor, fiduciary, 
douche area. Loves to buy secure. Is he calling him a douche? Yes. Like a <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> that is the way it is spelled. That's a new designation. <laughs> Do you think he did that on purpose or absolutely know how to spell fiduciary? No, that's I'm intentional. Like, he's a fiduciary. Uh, <laughs> loves <laughs> he's a fiduciary. Uh, that's funny. All right. Loves to buy securities at a high price. Hold them. Ride them all the way down and then sells them at a low price. Yeah, that explains able, that explains the title. Yeah, the fiduciary. <laughs> I'll be able to tax loss harvest for many years to come. This is a big point of contention with me. As in, call me crazy, but shouldn't the individual have a plan to deal with losses? As I understand, I will have many over the years. However, buying something for $154 per share and then writing it down to $44 per share and then selling it doesn't seem very efficient to any of my buckets. We have never had a discussion on market downtor- uh, downturns and or losses. I've been very hands-off and want to have this conversation at our next meeting. But sure, if it's even something advisors would even want input on. So he's got a couple questions here. He's going to ask Fiduce. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of percentage of loss should I implement with the advisor before selling? Okay. Should I, the customer, be setting these rates on losses? Thanks again for all the time and everything you put into the show. Peace, Nick. Okay, so Nick's got a broker. Nick's broker is managing his money in buying individual stocks. And the market turned on some of the individual stocks that Nick's broker purchased. And he purchased them at a buck fifty-four a share and then sells them at $44 a share. And Nick is like, okay, that's great. Thank you. However, it created a capital loss if it's in Nick's brokerage account. So a couple of things. Sometimes people get confused with losses. And if you have a loss in an IRA, it's just a straight loss. So if you have, if he's managing money in an IRA or your 401k or any type of qualified plan, Roth IRAs, the loss is a loss. You can't take any tax benefit from it. If it's in a brokerage account, then that's a capital loss. So he bought it at 150 bucks and sold it at a 50 bucks. Well, he has a hundred dollar loss for every share that he owns. And that hundred dollar loss will sit on his tax return and will offset any gain that Nick receives in the future dollar for dollar. So his questions are Al, what percentage of loss should I implement with the advisor? So like, does he want to have a stop loss on the overall account? And saying, hey, I don't want to lose this much? Or is he thinking more, what are the barriers from a tax loss harvesting perspective? Because if you've got individual securities, it's very difficult to tax loss harvest. Because, I mean, you could buy a falling knife and, you know, the company could go bankrupt and the, the, the company goes to zero. Tax loss harvesting works a lot better with index funds or ETFs where you have a, a big basket of hundreds or thousands of companies that you sell one ETF and buy another because you know the probability of a thousand companies going to zero is a lot less than one company. Exactly. And I, because he's talking about tax losses in terms of 
harvesting. I think that's what this question is all about. And I would say just the same thing. It works way better with funds. So, but you have to have a, an alternative fund that's similar to the one you're selling. So you sell fund A, you buy fund B. So you're still in the market. You will receive the recovery. And if you like fund A better, you just have to wait 30 days to get back into fund, sell fund B to get back into A. If you're doing this with stocks, you can do it. It's just a little more sloppy. Like, like for example, maybe you've got Home Depot that went way down and you sell it and you buy Lowe's because it's, it's similar. It's not the same company, but at least it's similar. It may have similar characteristics, but you never know because it's an, it's a separate company. That's the risk that you take. And then in 30 days, you could you could sell you could sell Home Depot and get back into Lowe's if that's what you wanted to do. But I like I like doing it way better with with funds. It's way cleaner in terms of what percentage loss. If that's what you're asking, any loss that's meaningful to you. If it's a couple of dollars, I don't care. But if it's a thousand bucks or five thousand or ten thousand, whatever. Whatever's meaningful to you, go ahead and take that loss. Go through the, the cost for selling, for trading or is pretty insignificant. In some cases, it's free, depending upon who you're doing it through. So what it, whenever it's meaningful, go ahead and take that loss because you're right, Joe. It's, it's available for gains dollar for dollar. And if you, if you have more losses and gains, it carries forward to the next year. You do the same computation. If you never have a gain the rest of your life, you at least get to take $3,000 against ordinary income. A lot of people get those two things confused too. So a couple of things in this volatile market. For those of you that have a brokerage account, you might want to take a look. If you have some losses in some mutual funds, you might want to sell those securities and buy something similar. Take the loss. It sits on your tax return that you can offset for gains when the market recovers. So a lot of people have losses in their overall accounts right now. So take advantage of the volatility of the market from a tax perspective. But if Nick, if you're asking us, hey, I've never experienced a loss before because since I've been an investor, the market's only gone up and now he's buying stocks. And should I put a stop loss, not from a tax perspective, but just from an investment perspective, that's way out of our league. No one has that answer. No one has a crystal ball. And so he bought that individual security thinking that stock was going to outperform the entire market. It didn't, it did the opposite. And so it, 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 it went down and he thought it might go back up and he didn't want to sell it. And finally he was like, I got to get out of this thing. And so he sold it. So, I mean, that's the problem with people trying to time markets and buy individual stocks. Everyone needs to hear this kind of investing insight, but so much of what's out there is so boring compared to Joe and Big Al. Tell the people in your life who need some financial direction to subscribe to Your Money, Your Wealth podcast on Player FM for some laughs along with their financial education. YMYW is also now available on Samsung Free. In addition to iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much every other podcast app in existence. Click the link in the description for today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes for that Player FM link, to ask Joe and Big Al your money questions, access free financial resources, and to see that picture of Nick's Irish setter. It's down there in the episode transcript just before the bit about Nick's fiduciary. Sean writes in from Los Angeles. He goes, hi, Joe and Al. Really enjoy your show and insights. Question for insight regarding a former employer pension plan. I did not complete five years, which was required to obtain the full pension status. I was there three years and I'm vested for my portion of contributions, which now total 31,000. I left the job in 2015 
in accumulate interest now. It is in the UCRP, University of California, that makes 6% of interest per year, compound monthly. Here's my con- conundrum. Say that word for me. Con- conundrum. Thank you. I work in a stable job and don't plan on returning to the UC system yet. 46 years old. It was told by age 60, I'll have to take a mandatory distribution of the total amount. Roll over to another employer 401k plan or IRA. This means that $31,000 will grow by 6% per year for 14 uh, more years. My other choice is to withdraw the funds and convert it to a Roth IRA. I'll pay tax in the 32% range. From the UCRP website, it states if you leave your accumulation in the plan, you may become an inactive member, which means that you retain the right to future UCRP retirement benefits. So if I take it out now, if I ever return to the UC system, I will not have the service credit for the three years that I was there. But as I mentioned, I don't see myself going back, looking for your insight as to whether I should leave it there or actively take it out and convert it to Roth. The Roth idea came from listening to a lot of your podcasts. Imagine that. <laughs> yep. I drive a 2015 Lexus IS and drink Laganita IPA. A lot of Laganita drinkers. There you know, are. You know, yep. A little YMIW posse here. It does seem. What do you think? Keep it in the plan? Take it out? Convert? Well, if he's never returning to UC, you could take it out. And whether you convert it or not, that's a whole other question. But if there's if there's even a chance uh, that he might go back, you might want to leave it in to get your service credits to get more benefits. So it depends if he's worked there three years and he goes, I'm never going back. But he didn't say that, right? Could. Yeah, he could. Right. Six percent. I think that the, the bigger answer question is, is that he's going to six percent compound monthly. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, well, I assume that means half a percent compounded monthly, 6% annual. Well, sure. Would you give up that guarantee? No. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, especially. It's a 6% guaranteed rate of return that the UC system's giving him in a retirement account that it can compound over 14 years. He could take that out, convert it into a Roth and invest on his own. And maybe he does something significantly less than that. Maybe he does something significantly more than that. But he's leaving six percent guaranteed on the table. I kind of like six percent guarantee on thirty-one grand, and then you start doing conversions and contributions with other monies. Right, especially right now, given the the volatility. Or you take it out, given the volatility, and convert it at a lower cost. Or no, but he's already got the guaranteed six, so that doesn't work. But then you convert now at lower values, and then the recovery happens, and he's got all that recovery in the Roth. I wonder if he could convert it. Could he? Could he, maybe he could convert in plan. Keep the plan. Maybe they have a Roth no. option. No, no, it's a pension plan. It's a totally separate plan. It's not a four hundred one. Yeah, but he's making contributions. So, oh, with other yeah. monies, he could take other monies and in, in convert or take yeah. other monies. Sure. But with sure. this particular thirty-one thousand, I don't. I don't know. I guess Sean, give us more information. What other dollars do you have? See, I was. If you thinking, want to get money into Roth? I think there's better ways to do it. Yeah, I, I was thinking it might be a like a four or three B because he made contributions. So I, I don't know. If it's a pension plan, you're right. Well, no the, the, yeah, the UCRP plan through UC. Yeah. 
So he could roll it out into an IRA, then he converts it to a Roth, is what he's asking us. And got it. But it's a guarantee through the UC system of six percent. I like six percent guarantee. He's forty six. What other assets does he have? What's his goals? What is he trying to accomplish? Right? Yeah, I mean, in a bubble, sure. I mean, we could make a case for both, Sean. Do it now. The market's low. You convert. You pay tax at thirty-two percent. It's only thirty-one thousand. You paid nine grand in tax. You got thirty-one thousand dollars in the plan. Market recovers, and now you got a hundred grand in a Roth IRA. And boom, there you go. Have a log and eat on me, or you don't do anything and you let it sit in the plan and get your six percent over the next fourteen years, and then you do other planning with the other income and assets that you have, you know, throughout the next fourteen years, and. Roll the the thirty one thousand. What is that going to be? Alan? Thirty one thousand fourteen years six percent. So now that's seventy thousand dollars that's in the retirement account. Roll that out in fourteen years, and then you add that to your nest egg. So, or you go back to the UC system and you get service credits. <laughs> that's called. I'll, I'll I'll get answers right. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking here. We're just. <laughs> Just kind of shooting the old stuff. Uh, we got Ryan writes in from St. Louis. He goes, I tried submitting online, but it did not appear to go through. So sending it via email. Thanks. Okay. A little note to IT. <laughs> got a little problem with um, our website. They have been told and they, they keep saying, well, you know, sometimes if people have slow internet connections and I'm thinking, I think it might be the slow website. That's the problem. <laughs> I believe you're probably right, Andy. So if you have questions and you can't get them through the form, you can just email info at purefinancial.com and we'll make sure that that gets to Joe and Big Al. Yeah. He found it. He did. I wonder how long it took him. I wonder if he's like, man, I mean, I've tried to send this question like eight <laughs> times. And he's like, screw it. I'm just going to go to info. Hello, Joe. Big Al. Andy. I have not met Andy in person, but can tell from just her voice she is a beautiful person. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, wow. Look <laughs> at what the hell is going on here. You know, we'll just exit. We'll let Andy answer this one because <laughs> clearly <laughs> there's a favor. Oh, Ryan, it's just going full court press. <laughs> just listen to your voice every week as it comes out. I cannot say the same for Joe and Big Al. As I do not have this power with male voices. Oh, and he's a cheese ball too to go with it. <laughs> he can't tell if you're beautiful people. Oh, love this guy. I've been listening to the show for about six months and love it. Please keep up the great work. All right. Well, I guess this is the last episode. Big <laughs> <laughs> I have what I think you will consider to be an easier short question. My father in law just retired and he is wondering. How best to withdraw from an IRA when in retirement? Do you simply take a fixed amount of monthly at a conservative rate, or do you keep a safety stock of cash in the account to draw from while the remainder rides in the market? I'm thinking of times like now when the market's down 20% in systematic withdrawals would hurt your position more while the market is lower than average. If you have a position of cash, you could then buy more when the market is down or build this cash reserve when the market is up. If cash reserve is best, how would you recommend? Six or 12 months or more? I drive a 2017 F-150, have a two-year-old 
golden retriever named Blazer. My loyal wife and two twin boys. A lovely wife. Did I say loyal? You did. I think that might have been a little projection there. Yeah, that that works, though. Well, Big Rye from St. Louis, you know, he's like, yeah, I got my loyal wife. (laughs) As I listen to Andy's voice. (laughs) Uh, I love to drink Fantasyland IPA. Fantasyland. Never heard of that one. And thanks for your advice. We don't give advice here, Ryan. Don't give advice. What we do is we just chat a little bit about people's financial situation. Okay. So this is, you know, uh, this market downturn, Alan, I'm feeling that people are more chill, more confident, or more something, you know? Like in years past, and we haven't seen a ton of them, but, you know, people would kind of be freaked out. You know what I mean? We'd get a lot of calls from clients. We have thousands of clients. We manage billions of dollars in assets. And over the years, as Al and I were, were, were growing our business, you know, we would get calls and people would be a little bit scared and a little bit freaked out. And, you know, then we'd have to talk them off the ledge and, and so on and so forth. But I think this time around, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, I, I, don't, I, I think either more and more people are getting more educated. And like Ryan here, he's like, okay, we got a market downturn of 20%. So be it. But what should I be doing in regards to distributions, right? Should I keep this stash at 20%? Should it be a six months of income need, 12 months of income need? Should I be taking distributions? Where should I be taking the distributions from? It's not like, oh my God, what is the market going to do? Is the skull, you know, you know the, the, the sky is falling and everything else. He's looking for strategy that's really sound that makes sense for him or his father-in-law or whoever he's asking this for, which I applaud for. So yeah, I digress. Yeah. I agree with that too. I think that anyone probably in their forties or fifties and older, they went through the great recession. They saw how this worked. That was the worst recession since the depression. And I've never been clear on what's the difference (laughs) between a depression and a recession. It doesn't really matter. It was the worst downturn that we've had since Al Capone lived in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the other uh, was 2000 I, I i think i read once that our government didn't want to call it a depression because people would get too free so that, that's why it became the great recession but Got nevertheless that doesn't matter the, i guess the point is the the people that are thinking about retirement now live through this and they saw you know what as bad as that was it came back so we've got we've got some confidence right i think the younger generation if they've invested in an 11, 12 year bull market and all of a sudden it goes down, that might be a little different because they haven't had that experience. But, but yeah, I, well, yeah. I, with, with some of the fire folks that, that we kind of blew up over the years, I don't know how they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. How about that crypto? Remember her? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amanda. Her name was Amanda. She works. Yeah. I remember the company that she worked for. I'm not sure if she's still there or not. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how about the guy that, that, that leveraged the hilt to buy rentals? That was Kubert. <laughs> Kubert. Oh yeah. That's uh, leveraging. I can predict what's going to happen there. <laughs> yes, sir. But Ryan, well, yeah. So he's asking two different questions. One's a bucketing strategy. One's a, a distribution or the 4% rule or whatever. Right. So he's saying, all right, well, if I take 4% out of the portfolio, 
or 3%, you know, is that a better way to do it than bucketizing the portfolio? And bucketizing means I'm not going to take a, a 4% distribution from the total balance and sell all positions within the portfolio. I'm going to have some money set aside in cash or to, to live off of for six months, 12 months, or whatever that is, as the market then can recover. So I'm not selling stocks that are down. I think both are um, fine, but both are flawed. I think, again, I mean, the, I think the, the, the theme of today's show is like, all right, well, what are you trying to do with the money and manage the money appropriately towards your goals? And if you have a really sound goal of what you're trying to accomplish and have a, a set strategy, a real clear strategy of what you should be doing in good markets and bad, then you're fine. Then you, I mean, right. Then you just kind of roll through it. You just execute on things that should be doing when markets are bad. Right now you should be looking at Roth conversions. You should be tax loss harvesting. You should be buying equities because markets are down, right? When markets are up, then you take a look. Okay. Well, maybe I should be selling. You sell high, buy low. Right. So there's different things and different strategies that you should be doing given bear markets and bull markets. But as long as you understand what your strategy and plan is and what the money's for, then you can trigger those executions automatically. You could, you know, or have an advisor do it or, or have a robo advisor do it or, or set it, you know, and forget it, whatever. But, but then these help the, the, with times like this, it, it helps calm the nerves, right? You know what you're going to do. Yeah, I think you you particularly when you're in withdrawal mode, you need you need you need some growth, but you need a lot of safety because you're withdrawing money. Safety is generally bonds. If you want to withdraw from bonds when stocks are up and stocks, I mean, other way around, withdraw from stocks when they're up and when stocks are down, withdraw from bonds. Great. If you want to sell a few of your bonds into cash for a year's cash for whatever needs you have for the year, that's a super simple way to do it. But yeah, I guess the, the main point is have the right allocation for what your needs and goals are. All right. That's it for us. Thanks again. Go to yourmoneywealth.com. Uh, click on Ask Joe and Al on the air. We'll answer your questions. The show wouldn't be a show without you all. So keep them coming in and we'll answer them. Joe's got your money well. Joe's bloody nose, Nick's Irish setter, drinks at the YMYW party, and Al's bout with COVID in the derails, so stick around. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment at a date and time convenient for you, no matter where you are in the country. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. I have like a tissue on my nose because I have a bloody nose and I hopefully this thing stopped. I've never gotten a bloody nose before. You are a trooper to be working through this, seriously. What do you think it is? <laughs> it's what, being, what are, it's what WebMD. What, what, what happens? No, you don't want to go to WebMD. Anytime you go to WebMD and look up anything, the answer is cancer. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, you're just being human, Joe. Everyone gets bloody noses. You just 
for some reason never had one. Yeah, never had a cavity. Oh wow! Really? No. Wow. Okay. You have a broken bones? No. No, no broken bones. Superhuman um, until today. Yep, yeah, back surgery though. I did. Yeah. I did have. A yeah, bad that's true. Bad disc. Yep. It's a big dog. Looks like it's got a lot of hair to take care of. Yeah. That's it, what I yeah. Was kind of noticing too. Yeah, he he may shed. <laughs> that's why he's outside. Uh, <laughs> right. If we ever throw a party and you know, invite the crew, you're gonna have the paper airplane, Moscow mules, Lagunitas, little something something IPA, Dur- something Dur- something IPAs, Dramatico rum. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, gonna have it all. Yeah. Answering your money questions, we're both playing a little hurt today. How you feeling, buddy? I'm feeling actually just fine. After two plus years, I finally got COVID. But it, it feels, I've had four shots, you know, the two vac- the vaccinations and the two boosters. And, you know, it's it, it just feels like a minor cold. So that's, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah. I got a bloody nose. <laughs> Still? First one yeah. in your life, apparently. Yeah. I don't know what the heck happened. Got blood on my shirt. I always wanted a bloody nose when I was a kid. Yeah. So I became, you know, but I never got one. Never Wait, you think it was macho or something? No, I thought it was it would be cool. Well, yeah, because because it shows you've been in a fight. Or something. Well, and now you can't even blame Al for punching you in the face or anything like that because he's not physically there. Yeah, no. not, not me. No. 